welcome to the first episode of Founder Stories. We're starting off today with Patrick Liu. Patrick graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in computer science, spent a few months at Apple, and was part of YC's fellowship coming out of college. Since the fellowship, Patrick has launched several startups, raising over a million in funding. His most recent venture is Quant5, providing consulting to companies getting from idea to launch. And alongside that, he's also building out uh, several products of his own. Patrick, uh, why don't you take it away and tell the, uh, the li- listeners a bit more about your background and kind of what you're working on. Yeah, so my current venture is something I called Quant5, and it's really something that came out of wanting to bootstrap my own business because I raised, um, or I partnered with somebody who raised a million dollars in funding for one of our ventures and then kind of pissed away $700,000 along the way. And after doing that, I kind of saw that, okay, raising money while you don't know exactly what you're doing is not the best thing to do. Yeah. So the best way to build your own business from at like absolutely zero for, most, for the most part would be fi- finding some kind of income. And that's what we're doing at Quant5. We are taking on contract work from companies and helping them build out their products and at the same time, we are also building out our own products. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know you mentioned that during your time in the YC Fellowship, you worked on several ideas and iterated through um, a couple of different projects. Yeah. So I'm sure that's where you kind of got that experience, specifically in this segment of a startup's life cycle. Oh, for you sure. Know, from idea to launch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, at the beginning, I mean, for people who don't know, the Y Combinator Fellowship is a smaller program of the Y Combinator core program and that program was meant for founders who didn't have any traction but just had an idea Mm -hmm. and then once you have the idea you just apply to them um, and then they kind of take you through the whole process train you up and show you kind of like what you need to do to get traction and so during this time like yeah I applied with this idea of an automated travel agent and I actually applied with one of my friends, and we kind of applied on a whim almost. Yeah. I mean, the, the application came out uh, during the summer, just randomly, and I like randomly stumbled upon it. And then I was just like, okay, let me apply to this thing. I was in China at the time. Yeah. And then I contacted my friend, was like, hey, I mean, we kind of talked about like building a business together, but... I mean, just it was just like some afterthought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was already working at a uh, cons- or not sorry. He was working at a uh, quant finance firm yep. in uh, Philadelphia, and so I think he was looking to get out. Um, so I just contacted him like, "Hey, let's apply to this thing. Mm-hmm. If we get it, we can see what's going on. We can figure it out." Yeah. So it was- yeah, I've heard of a lot of. Uh, <laughs> very last minute YC applications but oh, I'm yeah. sure that's something that was pretty exciting it wasn't even like we were looking to build a business and I think like that's not a good idea yeah. it was kind of like okay let's just try this thing Yeah. so it was really like th- thrown in there awesome um, we applied as an automated travel agent so what our goal was was whenever we were looking for flights we would always I mean I'm looking for a flight for Vegas right now and what I do is Every day, I check a couple times during the day, like go to check the flight price, yeah. go to check the fr- flight price, go to check it. And what we wanted to do was just, you just put in your dates once, you put in your uh, dates and location, yep. and then once you're in our system, we're always consistently uh, yeah. f- 
paying or just finding the flight price change. Exactly. Because it changes a couple times throughout it's the day. It's almost like tracking a stock. They'll just yeah. give you, you know, hour by hour updates yeah. of how the price changes. Yeah, whenever the price changes, we hit you up. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. then I guess with the YC Fellowship, is that something you had to interview for? Yeah. Um, because I know since they're not doing this anymore, just to provide a bit more light for our listeners, I'm sure that they are essentially investing in people. They are. Um, 100% a lot more people than the actual idea since um, it's structured the way that you, you said it was more of a relationship. Right. So I think YC was just trying out this program. Um, they gave $12,000 um, for a 12 or two to three month program. I forgot how long it was exactly, like mm-hmm. three months program. Yeah. And what I had to do was apply with a application online and then you get called in for an interview after they go through that whole process of look, reading through the applications. And then we interview um, yeah. and I, they picked 30, I wanna say 30 teams, 30 people or 30 teams, something like this. Um, all I know is that it was like less than 1% acceptance. Yeah. yeah. So they picked like, well, I don't know, 30 or so teams. Or, and then we, yeah, we had to go down to Mountain View to interview for this whole thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I, I know that for a lot of our listeners, you know, this is, might be their first sort of exposure to entrepreneurship, to technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you could talk just a bit more about sort of what it feels like to actually be know starting your your own project right. from a full-time perspective because I think you know being part of the house ecosystem being part of free ventures seeing a lot of student entrepreneurs I think the feeling of being an entrepreneur while still in school is very much different from that of not deciding to pursue a stable job at Apple like yourself yeah and really deciding to to spend full-time um, working on a startup of your own. Yeah, so I want to say like the biggest thing is when you first start out, you probably have no idea what you're doing. Like I had absolutely no idea what was going on, no yeah. idea what I was doing. Um, it was also like before the Y Combinator Fellowship, I never really thought about a path down like entrepreneurship just yeah. because I've never been exposed to it. Yeah. So like in college, yeah, I was, like, I mean the house didn't even exist when I was in college. And, like, the Berkeley startup ecosystem wasn't, like, anything at all. Mm-hmm. And so I was never exposed to it. Um, and when I first got into, like, started thinking about, like, when you think about entrepreneurship, a lot of times you think about, like, okay, let me think about a cool idea yeah. and then get something out of it. You know, like, let me try this cool idea. Let me do this cool thing. Yeah. But really, it's, like, a lot more than that. Um, that's only, like, a, st- a starting point to it. And there's... A lot of stuff around it like okay you need to build a team and when you build a team now you have like people under you right mm-hmm. so you got to bring in money somehow like that's a big part of it you got to bring in money somehow to fund your operation otherwise you can't do anything you know yeah um, so I mean the the whole thing now like after a, a couple of years of going on my own and doing my own uh, ventures, like it, it's it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty difficult, you know. And you don't really see that in the beginning. Yeah. The only thing you see in the beginning is that oh, I have this cool idea, let me go for it. The ideation part, you know, usually that's is the pretty fun. fun. Part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely really fun, fun to, to talk about, you know, the, the possibilities and, and yeah, the potential. Yeah. And I'm sure once you once you actually get started and once you devote yourself, yeah. I think that's definitely one thing that a lot of students um, haven't had the chance to understand, obviously, because they 
having graduated made right. that tough decision to, to leave a right. very stable job. I think that that decision by in itself is something that's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, the thing is too, is like when you're in school, you have a fallback of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, then I have school, you yeah. know? And I'm, I'm more of a student yeah. than an entrepreneur because yeah. like I can try whatever I want right now. If it fails, it doesn't really matter. I can go, uh, I sell school and then I can get a job, Yeah, you know? And I mean, for me now, it's not that different because I, let's say I fail, right? Like I fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I can always go find a job too. Yeah. But it's different in the sense that I'm like fully committed to this thing. Yeah. Uh, and that makes a big difference because you're always, I mean, just like when you stress about grades, when you stress about the midterm, you're stressing about how do I get users, how do I get money coming exactly. in, how do I get my product off the ground? Yeah. So it's the same kind of stress, um, yeah. just applied in a different way. Yeah, so I mean, given that difference, you know, how did you sort of see your lifestyle changing? How did your oh, daily habits yeah. change? It could, it could be as granular as just exercising more, or you felt that that was a good way of relieving stress and being able to balance uh, your life since you have no schedule, you create your entire right. schedule, you create how much you actually work day to day, and how did you make that so, so that it was sustainable? Right. I mean, so before I started um, trying to build my own business, I was at Apple for a couple months. Yeah. And I mean, during this whole time I was at Apple, there's a very like strict concept that, or like I had a strong concept in my mind. You go to work, it's like, I don't know, 9, 10 a.m. You go to work, you come back five, six, seven, whatever. And then you're done. That's you. you I structured off my like work time from like whenever I start work to end work. I don't touch it after that. It's like a light switch. Yeah. You yeah. Just yeah you just on. turn it on and off. It's like oh, I'm going to work. I'm done. Yeah. I'm going to work. I'm done. Um, and out like basically like after I'm done with work when I was at Apple, whatever. I just go do whatever I want. Like oh, maybe it's five p.m. I'm done. Now I can relax till like midnight and then just do whatever I want. This like. I don't know, seven hours a day, right? That's a lot of time to just do whatever you want. Um, and now that I'm doing my own thing, um, or running, trying to build my own business, it's more like I'm always thinking about it. It's, I work like whenever, however much I need to, mm-hmm. to the point where I feel like, okay, I can do this much work. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes like over the summer, I was working 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day, like just almost straight. So it's like a lot of hours you're putting in. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, it, and it's more out of sheer, like, I want to get this thing done. And so I need to do all these things. Yeah. 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 I, I know from a lot of just starting aspiring entrepreneurs, especially a lot of the students coming out of college once they graduate, you know, it's hard for them to draw that sort of line when it comes to just continuing to work hard right. every single night, you yeah. know, day in, day out. Um, versus also being able to balance something to make it sustainable because um, was something that you did over the summer, was that something that you felt was sustainable? Yeah, so, I mean, that's something I had to learn how to do because right when I uh, graduated, I was still in the mindset, oh, you work like, I don't know, like nine to whatever, yeah. and then you're done. Um, and so it really took me a while to like keep pounding at working a lot before yeah. I like could understand what that felt like yeah. and then could do it efficiently. And so, I mean, there was a, I want to say when I did my venture with um, 
Bart. This was this was Amplify, where we raised about a million dollars. I did this venture with a guy named Bart de Creme. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked a ton during this time. And I mean, before that, I worked a lot too, but it was really the first time I would be working from like morning till like, I don't know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And really before you do that for an extended period of time, you have no idea what that feels like. Yeah. You don't know how to like, how it, to take it, right? But after you do that for like a little bit of time, you now you fully understand how this whole thing goes. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get a sense too of, I know I can sustain this for like this much time. Yeah. And I know I can sustain this. Um, like for me, it was basically like, I know I can work this hard or like this much um, f- at least for a couple months and like during in between like you have to take breaks though yeah. you know like you got to do all these things like you got to sleep you got to take breaks like i'm not a big proponent of not sleeping yeah so <laughs> i try to get like 7 8 hours a night every night so i mean even if i go to if if i work till 2 a.m. i'll try to like get up at 9 mm-hmm. and then maybe start working at 9:30 and so yeah that's yeah yeah yeah, I mean, speaking of Amplify, can you just give our listeners a better idea of, okay, what was Amplify and a bit more about Quant, Quantify, some of the clients that you guys are working with and how exactly you, you became you know, this well, well-versed in the zero to launch? Sort of yeah, thing. so Amplify was, I mean, I connected with Bart over uh, AngelList. Okay. And so he was... Wanting, he was just thinking about this idea of building out a live streaming system for specifically for musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- I think live stream was really hot as a like thing during that time. Like Facebook Live came out, Instagram Live. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Periscope, Periscope was there, Meerkat was there, but I think a couple other live streaming services came out about the same time that we did. And really, what we were trying to do is build this community of live streamers over music, and. We, I mean, we built the product in a couple months and then we reached out to a bunch of artists and mm-hmm. we got a bunch of big YouTubers to come use our platform. Yeah. Um, like we got some people with over millions of subscribers on the platform and then tried to grow and see like, oh, do people actually want this as a thing, yeah. you know? Um, we worked on this for maybe like seven months eight months and then like towards the end it was very clear we could see that this is not working out mm-hmm. um, we, used, we looked at some of these metrics and like I kind of knew earlier that it wasn't working out but still tried to find a way to get yeah, it to work out exactly um, but we I, we're just looking you just look at some of the metrics and it's like the first time someone uh, has a broadcast it goes live then that's when they have their most viewership, the first three times. Yeah. After that, it dropped down like a decent amount. So we can see that like, okay, people are fatiguing over watching this content. Interesting. And so that's how we can see that this is not working out. Like we tried a couple different ways to jumpstart it to make it so that this trend didn't keep going, but we just couldn't do it. And like, yeah. it was always this trend of like, after the first three broadcasts, your viewership just drops. Got it. Yeah. So did, was that, like just diving a bit deeper into the specific metrics you were talking about yeah did you find the difficulty in getting the actual viewers rather than the I'd say artists or musicians yeah who actually so post these yeah time? it was like we could get artists mm-hmm. to um, be on the platform and something we did too was we just paid some people 
Yeah, like oh yeah, to get something off the ground, like you you can do a couple of different things mm-hmm. to just get people. And so we had a two sided marketplace. We needed uh, streamers, and then we also needed uh, viewers. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, for one side of this marketplace, we're just gonna find a way to get people on there. Yeah. So our theory was that if we could get um, streamers with a lot of uh, so like followers then their followers would come on the platform as well. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they would be into watching somebody else, right? So yeah. it kind of like trickle. Um, so we just, for a lot of our streamers, we can just, just send them or just pay them every time they stream. And that's how we got a bunch of uh, our initial streamers on the platform. Yeah. And so viewers we found was hard to get. And then cross viewership, like let's say we had a guy with a million subscribers, uh, we, we had a guy named Casey Cooper. He had a million subscribers on uh, YouTube. Mm-hmm. He's a drum player, and he does really good drum covers. Yeah. We try to get another drummer, um, someone who's less, a little bit lesser known, and but they're just audiences would not cross. Mm-hmm. Like people who were there to watch Casey Cooper were only there to watch Casey Cooper. Yeah. So, yeah, we found getting the viewers to stay and getting more viewers was very difficult. Yeah, got it. So then, I I know you mentioned that you raised uh, around a million dollars. Yeah. This yeah. was for Amplify. This for Amplify, yeah. Got it. Did yeah. you spend the majority of this seven hundred k that you you mentioned that you burned? Yeah. Was that majority spent on getting these artists? Because I also know that even having this sort of server space to host video, right, is is an incredible yeah. cost. Because I'm sure that, yeah. that's something that Snapchat uh, also had struggled with. Right. Um, and dumped a ton of money. In. The I mean the biggest thing you'll realize quickly is that the team costs the most amount of money. And so we were spending 70K a month just on the team alone. And so we had a team of six. Yeah. We had four, th- three or four engineers, um, a marketing guy and a design person. And so, if, I mean, if you put each guy, like Silicon Valley rates, like we're paying lower than Silicon Valley rates, but yeah. like you pay Silicon Valley rates, that's 10K a month per person. Yeah. So you add three team members, you, that starts to add up. That cost starts to add up. Mm-hmm. And so we're spending 70K a month in salaries. And so, I mean, when you're just starting out, the most uh, expensive thing is actually people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And over the whole time we spent um, on artists, we didn't spend that much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, was just, it, was, it wasn't that expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think if we were to co- just c- to continue the discussion specifically around bootstrapping versus raising money, yeah, you know, a lot of founders look to raising money as kind of kind of the golden standard, right. especially amongst the student demographic, the right. younger founders. Um, I think raising money and getting in front of on TechCrunch, getting in the yeah. on the headlines is something that is just so attractive. Right. Um, but I think you know, seems to be that just raising money is more so at the beginning. Um, right. And it just validates and gives you the opportunity to be able to work on a project like this. Yeah. Um, can you give a couple of your opinions and thoughts on bootstrapping versus raising money? Um, looking back, would you have bootstrapped and pr- maybe provided equity to some of the team members rather than um, more of a 70K per month? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just on that topic, like, it, it's very hard to find good people who will work for free. Yeah. Like you're just never gonna find those people. Yeah. <laughs> like the, if you and if you don't build a good team, if you start getting in like questionable people and like then, 
it's it, you're really grappling with a couple of things. Like if you get in not as good people on your team early, and they're there to stay, like your whole company could be like messed up just because the strength of the team is weak, mm-hmm. and everything you put out will be kind of buggy. Let's say this is your product, right? Let's say you hire a weak engineering team. Yeah, your product's gonna be kind of buggy. It's gonna be slow to ship. Um, and so like yeah like adding a lesser play like I think of these things I, I saw an interview the other day of hiring A players and I kind of agreed with what the guy said if you hire a B or C player like it's gonna be more cost than hiring the right hire yeah and so like but the, the thing is those guys are not gonna work for free yeah so I mean you're gonna have to find some way to get money coming yeah. And so this, when I think about bootstrapping and raising money, uh, a big thing I think about is if you, re- there are times to raise money. There are definitely times. Like when you, let's, let's say you hit something, you get, you get like a couple hundred thousand users really quickly. Mm-hmm. Now you can't support all those users. It's yeah. impossible because you have to spin up a bunch of servers. Your code, I mean, if you're running a software business, your like software might not be able to support it because it's kind of buggy. It mm-hmm. doesn't work that well. Um, but you have all these users that it validates like okay people want to use this product yeah that's when I think you need to go raise money yeah because at that point you have somewhere to go you you can like be you you have a very clear path of what to do with the money yeah on the other hand if you haven't done anything like barring like expertise in an area where you know that this is going to work then I would say like don't raise money because let's say you bring in a million dollars what are you gonna do with that money yeah right like let's say you hire a team right now you're spending what 70k like you do the same thing that we were doing now you're spending 70k per month you're burning that money mm-hmm. and like what are you doing with it you know yeah. like if you don't have a clear path forward let's say you just want the money to build the thing about software is it's super cheap you know like it's just like people's time and manpower and so, I mean, if you're trying to build like a software business, the best thing to do is get a couple friends. You can probably build the software in like a month and just build it out and try to get users. Try to get users on the platform. And then, I mean, I wouldn't even think about raising money until, I mean, there are certain situations like you might be like going broke and then you need some money and like then you need, really need to bring money in. But like, the best thing to do is try to bring money in from revenues and then fund yourself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know that one of the sort of trends and dynamics within the industry is yeah. that now it's so much more cheap, so much cheaper to start a software company, like oh, you yeah. said, because having AWS and being able to just have kind of the tools to even start something very simply and just create a prototype right. is a lot cheaper than it was before, where you had to just fund fundraise and get money purely right. to even you know try out an idea right rather now I think it's pretty interesting that you bring up that people end up becoming like the, the now the biggest cost for early stage company mm-hmm. um, do you feel that you raised looking back you raised money a bit too early um, since you, you felt that it was difficult to validate it with viewers oh, yeah for sure like I mean the thing is it's a two-edged sword because I think if we didn't raise that money then we couldn't bring the team together to build a product. Yeah. Um, but so like it's almost like 
we had to raise the money to hire these people. Yeah. But I think it was almost like built the wrong way, where it shouldn't have been almost like that. But I, in the most ideal world, and like the world is not ideal at all, mm-hmm. but like in the most ideal world, you're able to build a team by finding people who really want to build this thing with you. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe they still have a job and they're being funded from their job so you don't really have to pay them. Um, but it's like the most ideal world, you are you build a team without having to pay out that much money mm-hmm. and you build a product out. And I mean, all of this stuff is very, very hard. Yeah. And so if you're not, a t- you don't have technical background, maybe you do need to go raise some money to get the initial product out. Yeah. But for people with technical backgrounds, I think like you're at a very big advantage because you can build your own product. And so once you build your own product, you don't have to spend any money on that. You know? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. 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 And I know you elaborated on this aspect of bootstrapping before. Yeah. Um, just as the definition of exactly what bootstrapping is, it is, it's essentially in your eyes just working on starting a venture but funding it with either your own money or right. just looking for the most opportunities to cut costs. Right, just not taking any venture, not taking any outside funding. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And then when you finished, I guess, raising your this first seed round for yeah. Amplify, yeah. did you feel that there were dynamics within your team that also changed since now there was more at stake? Now, there's, now that there's this big lump sum of money, um, was there arguments around equity or did you find any no, other challenges? No, there wasn't because, I mean, the way the venture started was that Bart already had some money raised from a previous venture. Mm-hmm. And so everybody brought on after that, I mean, everybody that was brought on to the team, like it's very clear that this is your salary this is your equity stake and like this is your compensation package so there is no like um there's no talking about like it, it wasn't like oh we have this uh team and now everybody's got kind of wishy-washy on what's going on yeah and then now we also have money and now we hand out things it was very clear from the start what everybody's compensation package was so there was no like no like talking about it there's no nothing about yeah. that yeah. yeah that's great yeah sweet and then when it comes to you know your journey with Amplify yeah looking back what was sort of the moment that you genuinely felt that there wasn't like a future for this or you felt that you had put your all into this company and it was it was time to move on because I know that that's a yeah. incredibly hard sort of moment to either stomach but also think right through. I mean so for me, like very early on, I could feel like, okay, something here is missing that like there's something missing here that can make this thing very, very big, mm-hmm. you know, like just from seeing from the early, very early stage when people got on the platform and performed, um, I felt like something was missing there. But, and then like I was talking with Bart about this all the time, like how can we get something that's like interesting enough that people come and stay and watch yeah um but like we can never just do it and so we just tried a bunch of stuff uh and i guess for me it was never really like you're giving up on the venture because the way i think about it is like i am going to spend like the next i don't know 10 years of my life trying to build up a company and so like that's awesome really like the north star that i have and so 
it's not like it's like whatever company that is is not like the most important thing the most important thing is a company and so after, I mean after we saw that Amplify was like this idea wasn't working we tried to do another uh, twist on the idea mm-hmm. which was like a I guess just like a live stream chat room so I think um, people have probably seen like multi-way chat before yeah so it's basically a multi-way chat app like a like a house party yeah like house party yeah um, it was more meant for enterprise clients mm-hmm. uh, so we had a like we had support for file sharing like collaborative workspaces um, and that's what it was more made for so we, we just kind of shifted the idea a little bit yeah from live streaming to music to like now you're video conferencing with people yeah so yeah. I, th- I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it um, that you know the sort of shutdown of Amplify, you didn't really see it that much as a major failure or the end of anything really. Right. Just because you sort of saw your journey more so more so from the scope of yourself. Right. As this just this aspiring entrepreneur with just one goal of being able to build something over the next sort of decade. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and I I mean, I guess like if I look back, I mean I could see or like I could consider some of these things that didn't work out failures, but I just see it as like along the path you know Mm -hmm. like I mean maybe these are things I could have avoided but like doing those things like now I am at the point where I am because some of these things have happened yeah yeah I mean out of curiosity how what were the other ways that you and Bart went about trying to get viewers yeah trying to get them to stay on yeah what we tried to do we tried to do a lot of different (laughs) things um so initially all we did was have people come on play um and then people watch. Yeah. And so we found that that was kind of like a boring. After like, I, yeah, it's just what it's like. After three watches, you're kind of bored. You don't want to watch this guy anymore. Yeah. So yeah, you're just like, <laughs> oh man, like I can just go watch him on YouTube at my own convenience. And yeah. I think that was the biggest thing is like, music isn't really meant to be live unless you're at a venue. You know, like that's what I that's what I took out of it. Like, yeah. If I'm gonna go listen to some music, I'm just gonna open up Spotify and listen to my the same song over and over again, or yeah. in my own convenience. And then, so what we try to do is we try to make it like almost a competition. So we tried like leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to get people to stream a lot. Um, basically, like we hosted competitions where if you got the most viewers this week, then you would win something. Yeah. Um, we tried to get. Um, we would yeah we would give out prizes for people who won these competitions we would also um, we try to build up the social media on, the, on our site so that yeah. if you uh, did well then like we would promote you on our social media so that would give you more followers yeah um, we tried to we did some marketing on the viewership side uh, but we found that like for live stuff you only have a really window of like a couple hours yeah where maybe not even that long maybe like because maybe the guy's only on for an hour maybe you only have a window of an hour so that like the mark the fa- like if you use facebook marketing um it's not going to go out in that hour it's going to take like 24 hours for it to propagate so like you've already missed your window mm-hmm. so uh so, yeah, so these are just some of the things we tried to get viewers on board and like we we try to host competitions with like 
some like record labels and like none of this stuff just took yeah 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 Yeah. i mean i i think it's it's you know definitely difficult even looking back to be able to speak through something like that but that's something that we definitely appreciate yeah um is to have you look look back and something as uh, as tough as a time yeah as trying to build out a company and and really force some sort of usership and viewership Um, i think that's something that can definitely be frustrating but um I'm sure you, you learned a lot of good lessons from I it. mean, one of the biggest things I learned during this time is that when you want to get users on the platform, you can really force it. Like, I never thought about this before. Like, oh, if someone wants to use it, they'll use it. We just give it to them and they'll use it. But, like, a lot of times it's not really that case, you know? Yeah. Like, you can force it by either buying people or, like, running, like, weird competitions to, like, get people on, mm-hmm. you know? And, like... It's really like a brute force method to get users and like that's not sustainable long term but like let's say you're just starting up and you have zero people on your platform you can really brute force your way to like a thousand users a couple thousand users interesting um, it might cost some money and yeah like ideally you don't want to spend that money but um, to get to a couple thousand users yeah you can really brute force it and yeah like completely force those guys on there and then you can see like is this working out if it's not then like because eventually you're gonna have to find a way for this thing to spread and get users way cheaper than brute forcing it. What is something that you believe that other people think is crazy or insane? Yeah, so, I mean, I actually think that like starting your own business is something that a lot of people think is insane. Like, yeah, why are you turning down a job? You know, like, you, you can make a pretty good salary. Like, let's say, like, I go work, or, like, let's, I mean, right now in the software engineering market, like, your total compensation at somewhere like Google, Facebook, Apple can be probably around $250,000 a year, you know? Total compensation. Salary's probably gonna be, like, 130, 140, uh, plus some stock that vests over four years plus other stuff mm-hmm. so that's total compensation so like a lot of people think it's crazy like especially my parents they're like what are you doing like <laughs> go get a job you know yeah exactly and i mean in that sense like i don't think it's crazy because i mean i see people who are doing it and i'm like oh if these guys can do it i can definitely do it too um and i mean there's a there's a little bit of background behind that is when I was like a little bit younger, uh, I always wanted to play soccer. I played soccer like pretty competitively for a while, mm-hmm. and I always knew I could play professional soccer, uh, but never really got like any support on that from my parents or like anybody else who was around me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really know how to go about it. And so when I look back at that experience, I'm like, damn, like I could have really played soccer at a high level at least into college and got a scholarship somewhere. But I didn't, like, know what to do. And I also didn't, like, press myself enough to get there, you know? Like, I could have myself, like, looked up how to do it, like, figured it out. And I just didn't do it. And so I feel like, oh, this is a really big missed opportunity. And so for building my own business, um, I feel the same way. Like, if I don't do this, I'll feel like it's a really big missed opportunity. And, like, I have everything at my hands that I can make this happen. like I, I have all the drive I need and like this for skills, maybe I don't have it now, but I'll pick it up and I'll be able to figure it out. And if you really have that belief in yourself, and I think 
it's it's something hard to get, but if once you get it, then you can definitely go just yeah. go for it. You know. Yeah, I, I, that initial jump has to be pretty substantial. Going from like you said, like the Googles or a very stable job to first starting something of your own. I'm sure the second time around, third time around, right. um, a lot of the things you can sort of predict or just come to you. Right. Yeah. I think the first time actually on that topic is that like a lot of people, if you don't get permission to do it, you're just not going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really like, I never thought about this before, but then once I got the Y Combinator Fellowship mm-hmm. and went through the program, it really gave, like, I felt like, oh, this gave me permission to do this, you know? Interesting. And like, in life, like, yeah, so, so sometimes you feel like, oh, I can't do this, but you think about why, you don't really have a good reason why. And for entrepreneurship a lot, you know, I mean, you don't learn about it really in school. You never really encounter it unless you have friends who are doing it, your parents are doing it. Um, so you really don't feel like you have permission to do it. And once you give yourself that permission, then you can go really and do whatever you want with it. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting that you sort of put it in, in the sphere of, of giving yourself permission right, yeah. to start to start a company. That yeah. that's actually because a lot of people look at starting a company as I need the motivation, I need the validation, I need right. the team, or I need something to push me there, right. rather than more sort of saying I want to give myself permission to do so, right. um, and relieve myself from anything that's kind of holding me back from making that decision. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, one more question is, what is the worst advice you've either been given or have seen someone been given? Um, I think the worst advice you can get, uh, or like, just like the worst thing to follow when you're trying to build out your own business is to put off getting users and customers till late till later because I think even before you have any product you can reach out to people and try to sell them something yeah and you've seen a lot of examples like I've seen a lot of examples of this where people just put up a landing page they say they have a product for sale and try to sell it to people and then once someone reaches the like sale page like you just put up oh sorry we don't have this in stock right now yeah like put your email down and we'll send you an email whenever we have this ready. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And a lot of people just don't make that step of trying to get users, trying to get customers. Yeah. And really, like, let's say you build out a product. You're going to spend a long time building. Like, the product doesn't take... The product takes a long time to build. Yeah. Um, you want to build it as quickly as possible and you can build probably quick versions of it. But even then, it's going to take, like, a couple of weeks at least. And a lot of people wait till finding users and customers until their product is done and there's always a bunch of excuses of like oh my product's not done yet I can't go and get customers I can't go and get users but you really can't you just send out a bunch of emails to people you can reach out to your friends Um, and there's this concept of like you can just do things manually before you have a product to do uh, your service for you and I'll give you an example of this is like Right now, I'm building out a platform for um, engineers to showcase their projects and basically try to build a social community around uh, building products and projects. Yeah. And then I also want to connect these uh, engineers with job opportunities. And so what I did about a couple months ago 
before I built this whole product, um, I was working with a guy named Brian where we reached out to people on the Berkeley uh, Jobs and Internships group and we basically asked people like, hey, do you want help finding an internship? Like, we'll help you find one. Mm -hmm. And so we just got a bunch of people reply to the form, a couple hundred people. And we manually, I interviewed like 60, 70 people. Like, then I reached out to a bunch of businesses and was like, hey, do you want help hiring Berkeley engineers? And then got a bunch of replies. Like, yes, we really need help here. We really want this. And then I just connected these uh, parties together, yeah. right? And so you can see like from this, I mean, maybe your product doesn't f- like fit this, the need exactly, but you can see from this that you have people who really want to be connected to companies and really want help in this area. And you have companies who really want to be connected to engineers and really want help in that area. And now what I'm trying to do is build a product here to connect engineers with companies. It's like a marketplace. And, yeah, just like a marketplace. But like, I mean, there's LinkedIn, there's a bunch of other apps right now. Yeah. But specifically for software engineering, uh, there's a couple of areas where I want to tackle that yeah. aren't tackled well. Yeah. yeah. Is it something that is specialized to software engineering yeah. specifically yeah. for like, yeah, computer science? Right, right. Gotcha. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think a, a major pitfall that people definitely fall into is they get laser focused on building the product because that's something that you know i'm sure a lot of the teams you know even that come through the berkeley ecosystem end up becoming you know this is a really fun project i really want to build this out i want to see this come to fruition rather than actually being able to like you said in a very creative way test if there is like a legitimate demand out there right i've heard advice being given in terms of finding the desperate user finding the user that would go through the entire cycle and press you know press purchase um, like you said and then finally when it's there you can obviously provide some sort of reason to not actually have the product but I think even getting to that that last step is something that a ton of companies crave for um, but it's something that they'll they'll realize is so much so much harder yeah I mean it's really hard to do that's one thing it's super hard (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and then when I think looking back to your four years in college what advice would you give yourself Um, it could be for aspiring entrepreneurs or really just to make sure that you're, you're well set going into, right. into full-time, into the rest of your career. So I want to speak specifically to software engineering, and yep. software engineers, is that for computer science majors and EECS majors here, like I would spend a lot more time building out products and projects mm-hmm. rather than spending time like worrying about like interviews and like worrying about I don't know if you've ever heard of like how the computer science interview is but it's kind of like a whole new test that you have to study for yeah it's kind of like I don't know SAT for computer science cracking the the code yeah 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 this whole thing (laughs) and I would say like don't spend almost any time on that yeah just because if you have the right software engineering skills you can get any job you want yeah and um just testifying to this, uh, like, it's it's probably taken me about two years to get to where I am now, but in these, like, now I can build a product from zero to something and, like, scale it uh, in, like, a couple months' time. And so for my uh, consulting company, Quant5, 
we charge like a pretty premium price and we have people paying for this. And so if you are like a software engineer just coming out of college, like you probably don't, like I definitely didn't know anything at that time. And like one thing is now being on the other side and like hiring people, like even at a company like Facebook and Google, like your worth to them is like negative because you can't do anything coming out. Like you really have to sit and train and learn how to do yep. everything that you need to do. And a company like Google and Facebook, they can wait for you because they have so many engineers. But if you're trying to work at a startup, if you're trying to work at a middle-sized company, these guys can't really wait for you to sit and learn how to do everything. Yeah. Um, and they really want someone who can contribute right away. So in college, if you're building your own products, if you're building web apps, iOS apps, if you're building out, if you're working with servers, like these are the kind of experiences you really need as a computer science uh, major to like really provide any value anywhere. Yeah. Um, and like it's not that hard, but like it takes a little bit more drive to get there rather than just like being stuck in a theoretical world where I think a lot of people in CS can be stuck, at Berkeley especially. And yeah, yeah once you just like get these hard skills, then like everybody will want to employ you. Yeah. yeah. A very common conundrum, you know, for students is coming across like exactly what you said, this fork of either going to a Google or a Facebook right. and being able to benefit from that sort of structured tra- training program versus immediately jumping into the deep end, forcing yourself almost, giving yourself the permission to be able to learn and, and, and drink straight from the fire hose from a startup. You know, what do you think kind of best sets you up? in the future for like a long fruitful career or you know, whether it be anything within engineering? Mm-hmm. Well, what do I think sets you up for that? Yeah. A long career? Would it be joining a large company, oh, getting that training right. program or um, something that you yourself did? Yeah, so the way I think about it is, I think really after you, I mean, it doesn't fit everybody because everybody has like wants different things, but if you wanna be like the best person in your role, like in your whole career, over your whole career, I think the best thing to really do is not join a big company because you're not given enough responsibility and you're not given enough um, like tasks to do. And so really like you're, not, you're never gonna f- like push yourself enough to pick up these skills. Uh, like certain people have the drive to work at a big company and also pick up the necessary skills, but a lot of people will just, um, you're given tasks, you, you do them very well, but like that's all you do, you know? And so I really think that first couple years coming out of college, you can spend a lot of that time working at a smaller company, medium-sized company, or doing your own uh, development. And you can become, like after a couple of years, you'll be miles ahead of people who are working at Google or Facebook for a couple of years. Like it really, you can jumpstart your career by just, like working really hard when you're a little bit younger. Um, like right now, I can just tell you guys, uh, our consulting company, uh, we have a contract for 120K over five months. And then we've also taken on contracts 70K over three months. So like that's a lot of money, right? Like it's a, it's a good amount of money. And especially like, let's say right now I'm 25, uh, my counterpart at Google or Facebook, like they're making salary wise, like. 150k 140k per year um, but I think I've positioned myself well enough like let's say I go and try to find a job like I can get a much higher salary than what these guys can get 
Yeah. Because you've just, been able to build so many of these right. products. I, I have a ton of experience just building out like some of these products that, um, like some of my friends also have this experience working at big companies, but majority of them don't have that same experience. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a, a dynamic that is very exclusive to like software engineering, for example, is the fact that you can sometimes get an even higher salary and be even more coveted right. from going off doing your own thing, doing right. your own projects, rather than actually staying with a large company. You know, someone who's already been right. at Google for five, five, six years might not even be able to uh, compete with yourself um, coming from, you know. Right. I, also, I think it's also not just in software engineering, but I see it also in like roles of like marketing, sales, and gr- like kind of like growth, you know? Interesting. Because... I mean, it, once you're in inside of a framework, like let, let's say you're at Oracle or something and you're, you're on the sales team, yeah. you're trying to sell. I mean, you don't really need to do that that much because the product sells itself. Oracle already sells itself. So if you know how to sell to somebody without like knowing any, like let's say this guy doesn't know anything about your product, you can sell to him, all of a sudden like you can sell a lot more stuff. And like, let's say you you bring like a small, small, uh, product and you sell a ton of it now all of a sudden you try to go to somewhere like facebook you talk about your experiences with them like you're now leading their team instead of being a like employee of the team you're now leading your own team yeah because you have this experience of selling you understand like you're in the weeds you're like very like into it yeah but you have to have like succeed at this like if you go and sell and like you don't succeed then like you might not have the skill set but if you build that up you like and I, most people from Berkeley, I want to say, like, really have the skill set to really, really succeed. I mean, you're very smart. You're coming out of Berkeley. Um, and so if you really succeed a couple of years out of school, just at a smaller company, in a, a different role like marketing, sales, you grow user base a lot, then, like, you're going to be very coveted as a, uh, like, just as somebody to hire. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years down the line, like say you're 26, 27, like there will be people coming after you trying to get you to do a bunch of stuff for them at like a very high price. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting that you bring up, um, I think a lot of people end up looking to technology and software engineering as this sort of main sector that covets startups and doing something of your own and working on your projects. But I think it's, it's very interesting that you bring up the fact that any sort of growth role, like sales oh, yeah. or marketing, can also be applied in the same way. And that's, oh, yeah. that's also a big characteristic. Right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think uh, that's pretty much it for us. Um, Patrick, I want to thank you uh, once again for taking out your time and discussing um, and sharing so much of your experiences with our listeners. Yeah. Um, again, Patrick, the co-founder of Quant5. Uh, th- thanks, thanks a lot, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, guys.